Do you believe that? Wow. I tell the kids downstairs, it's good to be here with you. I've been downstairs all summer ministering to the kids. And I tell them, when a guest comes, we now have this new rule. We tell them, we are glad you are here. And then all the kids at unison have to respond. And we hope you come back. And if they had responded the way you did, which they will down there this morning, I will say, that's not good enough. You haven't convinced me. And you haven't convinced our guest, and they probably don't want to come back. So do you believe that God is still able to save? Amen. You know, sometimes in our Christian walk, maybe we don't see the results we're looking for. And maybe we get discouraged. And we just come back week after week and we sing the songs, but deep down inside, are we really convinced, do we really believe Christ is still able to save? And often what will happen is when you're going through one of those times where you're starting to wonder, hmm, has he stopped working? God will allow you to hear or be part of a story that will convince you once again, absolutely, Christ is able to save. And I had one of those opportunities last week, which was the final night of our Spark Soccer outreach to the community. And um, we just had a great summer uh, this summer, and we play soccer with them, and then we gather them at the end, and using an Avanja cube, it's one of these cool, like a Rubik's cubes that you move all around, and it tells the story of Jesus that he is able to save in a format that kids can, can connect with. And so at the end of each night, we've been building this story about a superhero named Jesus. And that sometimes superheroes in their purpose, which is to rescue and save, actually die. And this is the story of my superhero, and I got to share each week as we went along. And then finally, two weeks ago on Wednesday night, I finally shared the full gospel with them that, and to the parents who were there that you personally can know Jesus Christ and shared with them how they can know Jesus Christ. Last week, a mom came back and, and uh, she came over to me and tapped me on the shoulder just before we were wrapping up. And she said, I just want to tell you the story. And now she is a believer and her son is in it. And uh, they invited their nephew to come two weeks ago just by chance, right? That's what the world would say. Just by chance, the night where they were going to hear about Jesus and that he is able to save. And so the nephew came and took in the night, and then the nephew was actually going to go home and sleep at his aunt's house that night, and she said, my nephew would just not stop talking about Jesus and that he can personally know him. He was so intrigued and he was so curious, and he just kept asking questions and questions, and he was so excited that he had heard that there's a superhero that died for him, and he can know this person personally. What's an amazing thing about that story is that that boy's mom is a Wiccan and refuses for him to go anywhere near a church. And so the aunt invited him to soccer, which is less threatening than bringing him to church, and the aunt and the pastors tried to get him to come to different functions, and the mom is just absolutely adamant, no, he will not go anywhere near a church. And now when I sing that song, and I think, is there any obstacle too big? Is there any sin that you've committed or that I've committed that Christ is not able to reach us? And I was encouraged, absolutely, Christ is able to save. Here a mom is personally thinking she's going to be able to keep her son from hearing the good news about Jesus. And yet God, long before the foundation of the earth, had planned this night just for this boy so that he could hear about Jesus, because it's not until he's probably of age and he can make his own choice that he's going to be able to go to a church. And so before we start, we're just going to pray for him, but this week, 
Through that story, I was convinced about that song that absolutely Christ is still able to save. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open your word. And I thank you for the truth of that song that you are still able to save. And this morning as a congregation, we pray for that boy. I do not know his name, Lord, but you do. And I thank you for making it possible for him because you love him so much and you do not want him to perish. That nothing is going to get in the way of you showing him that you love him and how he can know you personally. Continue to work in his life. Provide him opportunities even at school to meet other Christians that can speak into his life and encourage him. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that you are able to save. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning I want to ask you two questions. Who are you? And what do you want? Who are you and what do you want? Now, all of us will have to, at some point in our life, answer these two questions if we haven't already. And without mentioning names, I'm sure parents of some teens who are in their late years or young adults who are still living at home, the sooner you would answer these two questions, the less stress might be around your house. Who are you and what do you want? But this morning, I'm not just talking about answering the big three. Okay, what are you going to become? What's your career path? Where are you going to live? Or who are you going to marry? According to 1 Peter chapter 3.15, the Bible says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that you have and do it with gentleness and respect. You see, the reality is, is if we are living out and if we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and we're living that out in our daily lives, it should catch other people's attention. And people should start asking you questions about who are you. And in that verse especially, it says, in regards to the hope that you have. So if nobody is asking you who you are, that's a big red flag if we claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Because according to Scripture, it says to everyone. So that means multiple. So as we live out our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, people should start to ask us, who are you? And what is this reason for the hope that you have? You see, people in the world are desperately looking for hope. All you have to do is listen to conversations at the workplace or at school in the hallways. Look at people's faces. Watch their behavior patterns, patterns, compulsive buying. All of a sudden, they're like, well, if I could just do this, you fill in the blank. You've heard it all. If I could just go on a vacation, if I could just get a raise at work. If I was able to just get away from my family for a while. You've heard all the answers. People are desperately looking for hope. Reaching out for something to hold on to during the uncertainties of this life. One commentator put it this way. The world in which we live is looking for a diagnosis of its condition and its possibilities for renewal. There are countless voices providing messages that promise to alleviate the struggle of life or the questions that trouble us. We hear political and economic voices arguing that if we reallocate or reorganize or restructure, we will build a sort of world where equity and charity win the day. Other voices are more deeply personal, arguing that the problem is not sociological but human. The human soul is in need of repair or renewal. And if we provide the right education or therapy or vision of our neighbor, then all will be made right. The world is desperately wanting to know and experience hope. Significant amount of money and time are spent in gathering people together for workshops and conferences with the good intention of trying to generate hope within individuals' lives and even between nations. But we know, we know that hope is not simply an idea 
or a theory or a philosophy. It's real. It's tangible. And you can personally experience it, but you need to understand its source is not generated in ourselves or some ideology. The source of hope is in the person of Jesus Christ, who we have been singing about this morning. We can know and experience hope because of God's amazing grace and his amazing love towards us. Turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. Here we will read the inspired words of God, obediently recorded by the Apostle John, revealing to you and to me the reason for the hope that we have that people should be asking us about. A hope that creates opportunities for new possibilities. John chapter 1, verse 1, Scripture says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Here we see the Apostle John establishing the main thrust of his gospel, that Jesus himself is actually God, that the deeds of Jesus that we read and we see are actually the deeds of God. Now, you should recognize, and those first three lines of that verse should sound familiar, in the beginning. Go back to Genesis chapter 1-1. The Bible says, in the beginning, God. Therefore, if Jesus is God, he was before anything was created. He did not come into being, and there was never a time when he was not. In verse 3 and 4 of John chapter 1, the apostle John goes on to continue to build his case that Jesus is actually God by affirming that he actually has the attributes of God, the ability to create and the ability to give life, not just physical life, but also spiritual life as we will read. So John chapter 1, verse 3 and 4 says about Jesus, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. If you go further along in Genesis, verse 2, Scripture says, at the time of the beginning, in the beginning was God, and he created the heavens and the earth. And listen to the description of the earth. It says that the earth was formless. It was empty. Darkness covered the surface of the deep. An image of desolation. Desolate. There's no life. There's no glimmer of hope. Now fast forward to 2012 with that image of the earth at the beginning and compare that with people's lives that we bump into each week. Empty, dark, no sign of any hope. But the amazing thing in both both scenarios, the creation of the earth and people today, God was and God is and God will always be present. Therefore, where God is, there is always hope and the opportunity for new possibilities. And we read that in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, where God talks about how man was formed out of the earth. And then the Bible says that God breathed into man, into his nostrils, the breath of life. And man became a living being, creating new possibilities for the world. But we know it wasn't too long after that. That man who was given life by God with all these new possibilities chose to ignore and disobey. The created 
did not recognize the Creator. And ushering sin into the world with its consequences, in particular, death and separation from God. We know in Romans 6.23, it says the wages of sin is death. But don't forget, in the beginning, God. So where God is, there is always hope and the opportunity for new possibilities. So the wages of sin is death, but the rest of that verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. How did this come to be? Go with me to John chapter 1, verse 14. The apostle John writes, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Creator God himself, who gave us life, who we then chose to ignore, loves us so much that he was willing to come and dwell among us in the person of Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Why? So that once again he could breathe new life into our now spiritually dark, empty souls, void of any hope. John 3.17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save him, the world, through him. So when people ask you the reason for the hope you have, our hope is in Jesus. It's in God himself who gives us hope and gives us the opportunity once again for new possibilities. What is that possibility? Verse 12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Sin separated us from God. But now because he became flesh and came and dwelt among us, we can be called children of God. And what about death? John 3.16 says, For those who believe, they will not perish, but will have eternal life. By God himself coming to dwell among us dealt with the consequences of sin, death and separation. Instead, now you can become a child of God and you can have eternal life. By receiving Jesus and believing in his name, we can experience a divine birth with all its privileges transferred to us by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. A description so beautifully penned for us about becoming alive in Christ. As for you, Ephesians 2 verse 1, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, breathed spiritual life into us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared for us to do. If ever you wonder... 
Is following Jesus Christ really worth it? Read that section, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and you'll be reminded what he has done for you. We have been moved from living in a dark, desolate space into his wonderful light. Jesus in John 8, 12 says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never, doesn't say perhaps, may, down the road, could. It says, if you follow me, you will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we can say with David the psalmist, when we're asked, what is the reason for the hope you have? The reason for the hope we have in Psalm 62, 5 is that our soul has found rest. You look at the people around you. You look at my life before Jesus came and rescued me. We were running, 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 searching, trying every single thing to try and find hope. Going here, going there, going here. Never rest in their soul. Psalm 62 says, Our soul has found rest in God alone. My hope comes from Him. We learned last week from Pastor John in Acts chapter 1-8 that if we have welcomed this light and love of Jesus into our lives, he wants us to be a what? A what? A witness. Exactly. If we have welcomed his love and light into our lives, he asks us now to be a witness for him. In fact, in Matthew 28, 19, he even goes further, and he commissions us to go and make disciples of all nations. Wow. Sometimes we forget about that. We just know we're saved, and we're so grateful, and we're living in the grace and love of God, but Folk, we also have an act of worship to give back to him by being a witness and going and making disciples. So my question this morning that I want us to look at quickly is practically what does being a witness look like? It's one thing to discuss it all and to believe that, yes, we should do it. But practically, Calvin, what does that actually look like? Well, in the same chapter, John chapter 1, the Apostle Paul introduces us to John the Baptist. Now, before you look at his life a little closer, you need to know that this guy must have been quite a character. When it describes how he was born and then raised in Luke chapter 1, verse 80, that caught me. That's one of the, probably one of the longest chapters I've seen. I didn't know that there was 80 verses in that chapter. And yesterday I looked again. Did I write that wrong? No. Luke 1, 80, it says about John, the child grew and became strong in spirit. He lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Then if you go to Matthew chapter 3, 4, it says John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Interesting character, isn't he? I think I could have enjoyed hanging out with him, because I think he probably would have enjoyed going on a four-wheeler and heading out back. He was just that kind of guy. Growing up in Africa, I'll give him all the locusts he wants. I'm not going to touch them. But the wild honey... Maybe I'll participate with him. But an interesting guy. Not necessarily the type of person you would think God might use to be a witness. So I got thinking about what would John kind of look like if he was alive today? Well, let me introduce you to Cyrus Robertson. I was introduced to Cyrus Robertson earlier this year. I got introduced to him because he is a member of a very popular TV show on the A&E network called Duck Dynasty. Duck Dynasty. Now, I only saw one episode. I won't tell you whose house I was at. But uh, if I think about what John would have looked like today, I think maybe he would have looked like Cyrus Robinson or more well-known to the people in Louisiana, just Uncle Cy. 
Uncle Si. Now, Uncle Si, the reason I think he was probably like John is because when I was introduced to them, first of all, you have to understand the Robertson family have made millions and millions of dollars. And you look at that and you go, really? Yeah, making these (coughs) duck calls. Millions of dollars making (coughs) a duck call. Incredible. But here's the thing where I think he's very similar if John was around today. Here's a quote from him. I don't eat meat from grocery stores. It makes me nervous. And the first show I watched of Duck Dynasty was incredible. It was a U.S. Thanksgiving. And I have to tell you, the U.S. do Thanksgiving right. My sister lives in Pennsylvania, and it's a great holiday, and it goes on and on and on. But the house is all decorated beautifully. They have this big table. There's four brothers and their wives and their kids, and it's just this big banquet atmosphere Beautiful food everywhere. The candles are going. And then I heard him pray for the food, and he thanked God for the bullfrogs that they're about to eat. And I went, are you kidding me? And when I looked at them, I thought they were Cornish hens. That's how big the stinking bullfrogs was. And I thought they were Cornish hens. They were eating for their Thanksgiving dinner a beautifully well-prepared bullfrogs. So maybe that's what John would have looked like. But what's the context that the John the Baptist grew up in? What was it like going on in his world when he was a witness for the reason, for the hope that you and I have? Well, Scripture says in Matthew 3, 1, in those days, meaning after the birth of Jesus, Joseph and Mary had taken Jesus and escaped to find refuge in Egypt to avoid being found by King Herod, who was disturbed, as you know, by his birth and had made a decree that all kids two years and under in Bethlehem and the surrounding area should be killed. So they went to Egypt, and they waited there until eventually King Herod died, and then an angel appeared to Joseph and said, okay, it's safe, you can go back to Israel. And they settled in the district of Galilee in the town of Nazareth. And remember in those days, the Israelites had been waiting for generations for a Messiah, for hope, for a Savior, Just like people in your office and the community where I live, they've been waiting for hope. Followers did not have an accurate appraisal of exactly who this Jesus was because he had not yet worked any of his signs. And it wouldn't have been until after Easter that the full implications of Jesus came rushing home to his followers. These are the days when John the Baptist was a witness. So let's pick up the story about our friend John the Baptist and see what we can learn about what does it practically look like to be a witness. Turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 6. It says, There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. That caught my attention right away. There came. That means John was obedient because he came from somewhere, right? So that means he was obedient. And if you go and look, In Luke chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says, God came to John in the desert. And then the next verse says, John went. So the first thing I recognize, what does it practically look like to be a witness? You've got to be willing to be obedient. I've got to be willing to be obedient. He came. He was obedient because he was sent by God. He had had a personal encounter with the living God in the desert. So he was obedient because he had a personal encounter with God. But just on a side note and a quick, quick word of nugget for the parents, I think also he was obedient because his parents had modeled a life of listening to God and obeying, even in the naming of him being called John. 
If you look in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it says of John's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, that both of them were upright in, in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and regulations blamelessly. And then when the angel appeared to Zechariah to inform him that him and his wife were going to have a child, a son, he, the angel clearly said, and you will name him John. You can read that in Luke chapter 1, verse 13. But because of Zechariah's disbelief that, wow, him and Elizabeth were going to have a baby, his mouth was shut, and he could not speak until the birth of his son. And after he was born, just as the angel had prophesied, it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 59, on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, that being John the Baptist, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They, they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. How many people do we have that are theys in our life trying to persuade us to live differently than we know God wants us to live? Peer pressure. But what does it say about his parents? Their voices got really loud. No, just kidding. The, the Bible says, but his mother spoke up and said no. His relatives tried to persuade them. Then they made signs to his father. Remember, his mouth had been shut because he didn't believe that they were going to have a child. And the Bible says, to find out what he, the father, would like to name the child, he asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately, his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. It was a home that God visited. Supernatural happened in this home. I'm sure there was lots of God talk in their home. So when God came to John in the desert, I don't think it was anything really out of the ordinary. He had witnessed God speak and his parents obey. And may God help us as parents to make sure that in our home, God has tons of space to speak and to talk and to help us to live obediently to him. So he was a witness that was obedient because he was sent, and I also believe because of the influence of his parents. Last week we learned from John chapter 20, 21, that we are witnesses, and we are sent. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. John was sent by God, and Jesus has also sent us. So if we've had a personal encounter with Jesus and know he has sent us, why so many times are we so hesitant to speak and to answer who we are and the hope that we have? One author put it well. Effective disciples or witnesses know who Jesus is and have a personal experience that completely reorients the way they live. You need to evaluate. I need to evaluate my life. Before God rescued me, and I was living in a dark, desolate space, and I look at my life now, is there really anything that different than the way I was prior to his salvation? He was a witness. Secondly, he was a witness to do what? He was a witness to testify. In verse 7 it says, He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. That light being Jesus. That's the hope that we have. The true light, verse 9, refers to Jesus. The true light that gives light to every man who has now come into the world. John was sent as a forerunner for Jesus to be a witness to the arrival of Messiah, Savior, the one people had been waiting for. If you look in Mark chapter 1 and verse 4, 
The Bible says in the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths. And then the next verse says, and so John came. That was his message. He was to prepare the way for Messiah. And just as John was sent to prepare the people of his day and his world for the coming of Jesus, so today we are sent as his witnesses to prepare people for the return of Jesus. Sent ones meant to testify concerning himself. In verse 8, we see that John never forgot his role. He was only a witness. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. He never forgot what his role was. His entire focus of his life was to introduce his world to Jesus, the true light, who had come to give light so that people could know their way back to creator God. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. He did this faithfully in verse 15 through 18. We see he did it faithfully and with passion. Listen to his, what it says. John testifies concerning him. He cries out. He's passionate about making sure people understand he has a message, but it's not about him. It's about a person named Jesus who will bring hope to their lives. This was he whom I said. So he's already talked to people about it. And he's going, man, guys, this is he whom I said. He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. We know that from Genesis chapter 1. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. And folks, that is so true. We are so blessed. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known to us. Too often I try to be Savior. I forget my role. My role is simply to be a witness to the true light. Do it faithfully. Do it with passion. Do it with humility. In verse 27 of John chapter 1, listen to what he says about Jesus. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. I think too often I forget who Jesus really is. And I treat him so lackadaisically. And here we see in, in an example of what a witness looks like. He was so understanding of who Jesus was. And the humility in which he handled his name and who he was was amazing. Because you see, in those days, untying a sandal thong was a chore that was not to be done by a disciple of a teacher. It was a chore reserved for the slaves. And here John is saying, he is unworthy to even do the work of a slave for this one who is coming. What an awesome reminder of who our Savior is and how he should be treated. So why was he so obedient as a witness to testify faithfully, passionately, and with humility? Because the salvation of people is at stake. Do we believe that? Do you believe that the salvation of people in your neighborhood and in my neighborhood is really at stake? I confess I probably don't believe it enough. But if we did, I think the way we would live our lives would be very different. 
Verse 7 says, He came as a witness to testify so that through him all men might believe and become children of God. Is your experience as a child of God being so rich that it's worth sharing? I pray that it has. People in John's time and people today need to know that they can move from living in spiritual darkness, void of hope, to living in the light. What's so incredible is God does not need any one of us to save anybody. He does not need our help at all. He is 100% totally capable and able to rescue anybody. But yet God, creator, invites John, invites you, invites me to be a witness, to testify, and to be part of his amazing work as he transforms and changes people's lives as they receive and believe in his name. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, this is what the Bible says about us as witnesses. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. What a sobering thought. Wow. I look back at my week and I go, God was making his appeal as if he's making his appeal through us to a lost world. Oh Lord, forgive me this week for not being a faithful, passionate, humble, obedient witness of your amazing light in my life. John became an immediate, an obedient witness for Jesus by grace, through faith. He accepted his mission. He testified faithfully. That means he had to open his mouth so others would come to personally meet and know and follow Jesus. Disciple-making. Matthew 28, 19, go make disciples. Help other people to meet Jesus, to know Jesus, and to follow Jesus, teaching them all that I have commanded. So others would come to personally know Jesus. We read about the impact he had as a witness. Mark chapter 1 and verse 5, listen to this. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. We shouldn't be too surprised because we know in Luke chapter 1 and verse 16, this is what the angel told Zechariah. Many of the people of Israel he will he bring back to the Lord their God. He had an amazing witness, an amazing testimony, not because he was amazing. He was a guy dressed in camel skin with a belt and he ate locusts. He couldn't even, can you imagine inviting a new disciple of Jesus to come to your house and you throw locusts and honey? But he had a personal experience with God that reorientated the way he lived. And as a result, God, who's reaching out to others, to rescue people, used him in an incredible way. He delivered a consistent message. Let me tell you about Jesus. It's not about me. Let me tell you my story about Jesus. In everything he did, his goal was to identify and exalt Jesus. Is that a description of my life? Is that a description of your life? Could people who are around you say, everything he does, everything she does, everything I see them do at college or at high school, That person is just consistently through actions and words identifying who Jesus is and exalting him. Through his own testimony, we read that people became curious and began to ask, who are you? Who are you? Follow along with me. We're just going to read this section and just watch what happens as a faithful witness does what God has asked him to do. John chapter 1 verse 19. Remember now, this is John's testimony. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess. 
How many times, Lord, have I failed to confess when people have asked me who I am? He confessed freely. I am not the Christ, they asked him. Then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. You see, there was a buzz surrounding him. His obedient, faithful witness was starting to catch other people's attention. John replied consistently and humbly. In the words of the Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of the one calling the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. Now some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied. But among you stands one you do not know. Folks, one concern I have is as God allows us to reach out to families in our communities and the Holy Spirit through our witness by God's grace. We can do nothing apart from God. So anyone who is ever even interested in Jesus Christ, we've got to give God all the glory. So the fact that there's families in our communities, and I've, been, I've met a couple of them recently, they're like, we have never seen church like this. We don't understand why these people are so excited. My fear is, please, let's speak truth to these families and have a consistent message. Because here's a group of religious-looking people who Paul is saying, you do not know, and yet there's one among you. And please, if God, by his grace, is reaching out to you, and you're here, and you're like, man, I just love what's going on at the church, I pray that by God's grace and by you coming to Percy Norman Obey, you will come to realize, I'm excited about what Jesus Christ is doing. Please be careful not to just have a form of godliness, a form of religion, but not know Jesus Christ personally. Verse 27. He is the one who comes after me, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day. I think that's crucial. You need to see this is just a 24-hour-a-day life that we have been called to do as witnesses. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said. Wouldn't it be awesome if God uses us as a faithful witness and one of our neighbors gets saved and to have coffee together on the back deck and go, This is the one I've been talking about. This is the one I've said. And now you are personally experiencing him. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water is that he might be revealed to Israel. Wow, a man of faith. Faith. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. I would not have known him except that the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, you mix faith and obedience, you are going to experience and know Jesus Christ in amazing ways. Because look what happened. The man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is he who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. John's testimony, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God. Have you had the opportunity to tell someone that you personally have had an encounter with the living God, your life has changed, and now you can testify that he really is the Messiah. The next day, John there again with two disciples. So he already had an inner circle of people that he was influencing. Do we have an inner circle of people close to us that we are influencing and encouraging to follow Jesus? When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, consistent message, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard 
him, say this, they followed Jesus. He talked, directed them to Jesus. They then followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked them, second question, what do you want? Wow. Wouldn't that be awesome when you imagine Jesus showing up at your office and saying, what do you want? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do with your life? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Jesus could have told them exactly where he was staying. He could have said, I'm heading up here, turn left, and I'm going to be there. He could have told them exactly. But guess what? The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. He didn't tell them where he's staying. He gave them a decision that they had to make. What do you want? Come and see. Come and see. They, at that moment, had a decision to make. It was their personal time. This Jesus who John has been testifying about, who I've now met, is now asking me if I want to come and see. Their personal encounter with Jesus Christ that was going to reorient the way they live was about to happen. Listen to what Scripture says. He replied, come and you will see. So they went and saw where he was, staying and spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and as a result followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, the rock on which Jesus built the early church. John's testimony as a witness should persuade, it has persuaded me this week, and it has taught me about the importance of conversion and making disciples. I personally believe God wants us to be inspired as his witnesses today in 2012 by reading these accounts. Speak what you have come to know about Jesus personally and experienced as one who has received and believed in him and watch how God will bring others along so that they too will come and see, meet and know and follow Jesus. Do you remember the story of the Samaritan woman at the well? We were discussing this yesterday morning with some guys that I get together with. It's not rocket science, folks. But if your life has really been changed, it should come pretty easy. The account of the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 and verse 28 and verse 29, this was what her response was as a witness after her experience with Jesus. Then leaving the water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, said to the people, come see. Isn't that amazing? We just heard those words from Jesus. Come see. A man who told me everything I've ever did, could this be the Christ? Result of her faithfulness to be a witness? Simple message. Come and see who Jesus is. Listen to the response. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. John gave witness as a testimony to the light. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Going back to our friend, Cy Robertson, 
and uh, Duck Dynasty. Yesterday in my office, I was online and read an interesting article about Cy Robertson and the crew of Duck Dynasty. It's an article in a, in a magazine called Grace Digest. In pursuit of the truth, Christ-focused and grace-driven. Just how popular are they, the guys from Duck Dynasty? Recently, CNN's Anderson Cooper, arguably the best show on CNN, was able to only attract just over 500,000 viewers. Meanwhile, the last episode of the season of Duck Dynasty had 2.6 million viewers. Not too shabby. And they're trending upward. What drives them? You might be shocked to know that the motivating force is not fame and the money that comes with TV stardom. What drives them is a simple mission that began with the elder Robertson soon after his conversion to Jesus Christ. They are focused on telling as many people as possible about the story of Jesus Christ and what he has done for sinful people. That's all of us. An open door. After reading the paragraph above, you might question, yes, I see them say a prayer before they eat, and Phil will say something about the Bible during the show occasionally, but they don't share about Jesus on the show, do they? Of course, it's a fair question. And I think many people who know the Robinsons might have a similar question when they hear someone make the claim that they are just all about evangelism. But what Duck Dynasty and other family media has done is to open doors that could never have been opened any other way. Phil and his brothers and their uncle Cy have all the speaking opportunities they can handle, and more. Even before Duck Dynasty, Phil was booked up for about three years in advance. They speak at sports shows all over, all of, of all sorts, sports banquets at churches and other venues, and almost anywhere they can get an audience. What you might not know is that every speaking opportunity figures a, features a rugged-looking, outdoors-type people with a duck call in one hand and the Bible in the other. They almost never speak anywhere that they don't preach the gospel. This family has preached the good news about Jesus to far more people in the last several years than many major ministries ever could. They walk the walk, they talk the talk. For this, I must respect what they do and who they are. So tune in when the new season begins and keep in mind that what you see on the screen is just a fraction of what the Robertson clan and their friends are all about. To them, Jesus really is Lord. Who would have thunk? Hey? But you know what? One father somewhere in the family, had a personal experience with Jesus Christ. Moved from a dark, desolate space without any hope into the wonderful light of Jesus Christ. Recognize that now with Jesus, there's opportunity for new possibilities and have chosen to use the gifts and the abilities and the opportunities that they have been given to testify and to tell about the story of Jesus. As Pastor Steve and the team comes up, if your life has been changed by the amazing grace and love of Jesus Christ, and you knew what it was like to live in darkness, and now you live in light, and you have hope, people should be asking you questions. Who are you? Jesus asks you, what do you want? And can I urge you as a, as a brother, please take this opportunity now through the singing of this song to declare publicly with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind about the hope that Jesus Christ, the Word, God himself, who became flesh so that we can no longer be separated and fear death. If he has made a difference in your life, then please sing this song with passion and with joy and testify to each other about the hope that we have.
In John's testimony that we just read, there was a lot of word of mouth going on. A lot of word of mouth. He said this, I heard, I went, I told him immediately. Lots of word of mouth. In a world filled with savvy marketing and technology and the tools that we have in our hand, I still believe word of mouth is one of the best forms and effective forms of convincing and persuading. I think of some of the back alley, hole in the wall restaurants I've ate in this world and tasted the best food in the world. Places where I probably wouldn't even feel safe taking my kids today. But based on the testimony of people who had ate there, I became curious. And as I was persuaded, I went myself and tasted. And as I personally experienced the food in these holes in the wall that you just go, wow, I was then able to go through word of mouth and persuade others to go and try and taste and see. Psalms 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man or the woman who takes refuge in him. So who are you? There's only, I believe, three options this morning. You're either a believer, you have received and you have believed and you've been moved from darkness to light, or you're an unbeliever. You do not know Jesus personally. I'm not talking being religious and coming to church. I'm saying, do you know Jesus Christ personally? Maybe you have not received him. Maybe you have not believed. Or thirdly, I believe God has some people here that are curious. And something has attracted you about your neighbor or about stuff going on around the church. And you want to know, what is it? What is the hope that you guys have? Well, Jesus says this morning, what do you want? Simple. What do you want? Jesus' invitation still stands. Come and see. Come and see. And for those of us who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do this week? Hopefully, by God's word, you've been convicted that by the word of my mouth and my testimony, I will let others know about Jesus and prepare them because I believe their lives are at stake. John gave testimony because he experienced Christ, told others to come and see. They personally experienced. They went and told others. Others came and see, and it goes on and on, and God is still doing that today in 2012. And I know that there's families here that I met this summer who had worked for people in our church and were invited to come and see, and now years later are here curious. Something has caught their attention, and our prayer is that now they will meet, know, and follow Jesus Christ personally. I'd ask you after the service if you want. I'm going to be up the front. If you do not know Jesus Christ personally, if you are still living in darkness, he is still able to save. History books have not been closed. The invitation still stands. If you have experienced Jesus in your life and you need to come and confess, I have failed to confess when being given the opportunity to freely confess. You need to come and confess that. You need to come before God and bow before him and say, forgive me. You gave me life. And I have failed to confess and to testify. Make things right with God. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's alive. It's powerful. It challenges us. It encourages us. Thank you for coming and for being willing to dwell among us so that we can actually be here today and sing Hosanna. We can know you personally because of what you were willing to do on our behalf. Now, God, convict our hearts to be faithful, obedient, passionate, humble, word of mouth followers of you. 
Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know you personally, please grip their heart and do not let them leave this auditorium until they come and meet and know you personally so they can follow you personally. And for those who need to come and spend time confessing our sin to you, God, thank you that you give us that opportunity and you say if we confess our sins, you're faithful to forgive. And so we are excited about what you're going to do in our lives this week as we go out as your witnesses. In Jesus' name, amen.